They said getting started was the hardest part, but no one told you how hard it is to scale a custom service business. It's time for your team to step up, but your clients want you. Discover how to scale to seven figures and beyond by freeing up time and getting your team to run whole parts of the company so you can focus on scaling profits. This is the Hands-Off CEO with Mandy Ellefson. Today on the podcast, we have Sean Buck, and he is a serial entrepreneur um, of 16 years, currently operates the um, Newsletter Pro based out of Boise, Idaho. And um, they, uh, the Newsletter Pro and, and Sean was landed on um, the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies list with a shocking growth um, rate of 2,975%. And... Um, he also contributes to Entrepreneur and other um, large publications, and um, he's published his own books, and he also collaborated with um, a marketing guru, Dan Kennedy, to write um, the No BS Guide to Maximum Referrals and Customer Retention. So I'm um, really excited to have Sean on the, the show today. He is definitely a hands-off CEO in his own right. Um, when I was first connecting with him, um, it was a little bit challenging to get a hold of him because he was out of his business for six months. And this is while uh, the company is growing a um, little over 35% year over year. And um, that, that's quite a bit for the size of company they have and for the, for, um, the, the uh, lean mean team that they have. So um, really excited to have Sean here. Um, it was a fun interview because it was like, um, he was answering questions before I even had a chance to ask him. And that's when, you know, it's like, it's going to be an awesome interview is when, um, when, when it's like they're, they're preempting, um, answers before you even have a chance to ask them. So I am so excited. He shares really great content in this episode about getting past stagnation and past fear. And we, we share his, um, the stage is he goes through in the, in uh, going from zero to, to um, now a ten million dollar company. So I'm um, really excited to have Sean Buck here on the podcast. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Mandy Ellison here with Hands Off CEO Podcast. I have Sean Buck here from NewsletterPro.com. Um, welcome to the show, Sean. Mandy, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited um, and I am honored, honestly, honored to be on your show. I, I appreciate it very much. And so I'm pumped to have a chat with you. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast here. And, and I'm having, I invited Sean to be on the podcast um, for a few reasons. And uh, he was a little bit hard to nail down because, uh, you know, he's really living the life of the hands-off CEO. He's not someone who you can, uh, you can, that who, who just has like hours and hours of their schedules just open for you to just uh, schedule into. Um, and, and Sean has built a, um, an eight figure company, hands off company um, that is in the marketing, in the marketing space. And um, the reason why I wanted to have Sean on was that not only is he uh, running a successful hands off business where he's, he's gone for months at a time, um, he was just sharing with me today. It's Monday today. And he was just sharing with me how he's out for the rest of the week after today, after this call. And this is, this is at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> so he's definitely living the life, the hands off CEO, but this is also a company that is, um, creating a lot of rapid growth without him as the CEO. And, um, that's one of the reasons. The other reason is that he has, this is a custom service and this is an ex a really great example of a custom service that, um, has, has really focused on, um, creating an outcome 
and they've really focused on doing one thing very, very well. And that's, and you know, they've scaled into an eight figure company that's still growing. Um, and the other thing is, you know, this, they had, uh, newsletter pro that do, do really great work. And, um, I just like to share this with, with all of you as listeners. And so you can get some tips on how to use newsletters to really, um, tap into, uh, the, the, those uh, longer term sales and his and uh, you know we had a great conversation before this and, and really um, I really enjoyed everything that that uh, his perspective on business and and growing his team and all ever and all that so um, so Sean um, <laughs> with that I know I was just sharing a whole lot of things for why I was excited to have you here today so you well, know why you. don't we dig in um, so you you gave me permission to ask you whatever questions yes um, anything so. and everything. So let's just go ahead and, and talk about that. Um, h- how long has the business, how long have you guys been in business? Uh, so yeah, we started, uh, it'll be nine years uh, coming up in January. So so almost nine years. So nine years. So would you mind like sharing kind of the growth trajectory that you had through those nine years? I think our listeners would find that really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So it started out, uh, you know, just like most small businesses, it was just me right? A uh, one-man band. Uh, I had one uh, employee who did graphic design for me as a contractor. So I would just hire them to do, you know, I paid them like, you know, I don't know what I paid them. I don't remember anymore, but not a whole lot of money. <laughs> and they did uh, outsource uh, contract work for me. It was mainly because I didn't know how to do that portion of it, but I did every other portion. So I did the project management. Um, and then I even did the, what one of the unique things about our services that we ghostwrite all of the content. So we call, we interview the, the business owner, the entrepreneur, right? 15 minutes on the phone. And then we ghostwrite a story as if it's in their voice. So I did the ghostwriting. Um, my um, wife did the editing and neither, she's not, uh, she's not like she's a trained editor. It was just that she was better than I was. She got an A in English and I got a C minus in English. English. So, you know, there you go. Right. Um, and that's how it started. And that's how it ran for really about the first, um, the first 18 months. And part of the reason it ran that way was I was doing this business part-time for the first year. Um, I had another company that I had to sell and I still had to run. And so this was definitely a part-time business. Um, and so we did that. And then I made this, this jump 18 months in, to doing something that's incredibly difficult for most businesses. And it was incredibly difficult for me as well, which was to double my workforce by hiring another person, right? That first employee, that's always like the scary thing. Like, how am I going to pay for them? You know, what's going to happen? Um, and I was literally sitting there, I'm like making a list of stuff they're going to do. And I'm like, this isn't 40 hours a week worth of work. Like, how am I even going to pay for this person? And I got some advice where they said, listen, you just make sure when you're starting to feel like you've got too much work, you're actually probably behind the eight ball. You probably should have already hired someone. Even if you can't fully articulate out what it is that they're going to do, like every single task, some of that will, will backfill. Some of it, you're just not remembering everything you need to do, whatever the case may be. And so I took this leap of faith and hired this person. Um, now, when most people do their first hire, there's one other thing that like messes with their head. Okay. And that is that they think that, okay, I'm going to hire someone for $40,000 a year. So they think they're spending $40,000, but most of us are in at will, you know, states, right? So we're not spending $40,000. We're spending whatever the day rate is. So once we hire someone, we're just guaranteeing them a job tomorrow for eight hours. So if they're making 20 bucks an hour, we're only actually spending $160 and the next day we're spending $160 and the next day, right? Because we can let them go and go right back down to zero. It's not like we have to pay the full 40 grand. I learned that 
later on, but I wish I had known that sooner because I would have basically, I would have, I would have hired faster. I would have realized like, Oh yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Right. That, that's so, a really, I, I want to just stop that for a second, but that's, yeah. that's a total value bomb that you just shared there. And, and I think that um, as entrepreneurs, it's really easy for us to be getting, getting stuck in this, well, we have to pay 40,000 or a hundred thousand, whatever it is for, mm-hmm. this, for this employee. When, um, when I think it might just be fear that's messing up our heads. And, you know, when you really look at it, what did you find out what the, the real opportunity cost was? Well, yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. It was one of these things where I just was, I was actually, you know, struggling to take on new customers. And what was happening was I was taking them on, even though I didn't have time and the resources to do it. Cause I was with this one man band. Right. But then I was doing a poor job. And so then what happened was I would lose a customer. And then the fear would kick in where I go, well, I can't see, look, I lost a customer. I can't afford this employee. Like I don't have, and it's like, it literally was because I didn't hire the employee was because is the reason I lost the customer, which was then reinforcing my fear that I actually couldn't afford them. When the true and correct answer was I needed that employee to grow and scale and, and make my, make the company big and make my dreams and everyone's dreams come true. Right. And so it, I didn't know that back then. <laughs> I fully understand that now, but uh, I didn't realize that back then. And so I just had to take this leap of faith and it, it took, you know, uh, a lot of uh, um, people kind of prodding me and poking me and saying, Hey, you know, this is important and this is the right call and you totally need this and just trust, trust in the, in the process and trust that you can, you can figure this out. And so, so we hired that first employee 18 months in, and, um, and then I did, you actually made a point, uh, in the very beginning where you said, uh, you know, we do one thing and we do it really, really well. And, and that is, that is correct. Um, we do one thing, we do it really well. And this, it's branched off a hair a little bit now, but uh, not a ton, right? It's really this one core product. And, um, and in the beginning though, we had three products. We didn't have one. And I sat there and I realized like this was insanity. Okay. So this is, again, some of, some of your listeners right now are going to be in this spot in their business. What's happened is, is they've gotten used to taking anything and everything that walks through the front door, right? So anything and everything's coming in the front door. But the problem with that is, is now they've got to figure out new systems, new processes, you know, new ways of doing things. And the first time you do something, it's the hardest, the hardest time you're going to do that thing, typically speaking. Um, but then if they want to sell more of that, they've got to figure out how do I sell this product, right? How do I sell that product? And so for me, I had three different products. I had newsletters, I had a new mover campaign, and I had a birthday mailer campaign. Well, that means I needed to have three sets of landing pages. I needed to have three sets of sales copy. I needed to have three shock and awe packages. I needed three books. I needed three what? I needed three of everything. I wasn't even, I was like, I was like Noah plus one, right? You know, I mean, so, um, so anyhow, I needed all these things, but I didn't have money to pay people to do them. I didn't have the time to create all of that stuff myself. That takes time, right? And so I'm looking at this. I'm like, at that point, we're doing about $30,000 a month in sales. So 18 months in, we're doing about 30 grand a month in sales, okay? And, uh, you know, not shabby, not shabby, especially for part-time for the first year, but not lighting it on fire by any extent of the imagination. So I said, here's what I'm going to do. I, t- I did a whole analysis of all the products. Like I went deep because I'm, I'm analytical that way. And I said, like, okay, um, let me look at all the products. 
and I decided on newsletters. And the reason I decided on newsletters was because it was the most difficult product and it was the one that had the smallest profit margin. So I was like, that is the one to go after, right? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. That is actually true, but that is not the reason I decided on it. <laughs> um, it was of the three products that had the, the, the smallest profit margin of the three and it, and it was the most difficult. Now, I actually think it being the most difficult is, a, is actually a benefit to us. Um, because so many people will try this on their own and can't do it. I, I mean, just, it's so hard it, to do it right. Anyone can do a crappy one, right? That's easy to do, but to do it correct and actually make it work. It is actually difficult. You have to know what you're doing. So that was a benefit, but the low profit margin, uh, that didn't bother me the lower, lower than the other ones, right? That didn't bother me. What the reason I decided on that was, is at that point in my business, not a single customer have had ever canceled the newsletter service. 18 months in, no one had ever canceled. I didn't have like hundreds of customers or anything. I had like a dozen, you know, or you know, 20 customers, right? That's a big but enough sample no, size. It was a big enough sample size. And here's something I've learned a long time ago. And unfortunately, most small businesses don't, don't get this. And it actually is another thing where it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive. Uh, but if they actually understood it and realized that they would grow bigger, better, and faster. The single most difficult sale to make is the first one. The easiest sale to make is the second one and everyone after that. And so if you take care of your customers, if you treat them well, if you build relationships with them, if you're not just that annoying entrepreneur who only contacts them when you want, when they, uh, you know, when the entrepreneur wants you to buy something from them, when you actually care, when you open up and let them see behind the curtain that you're a real human with a family and issues and all these other things that happen, right? When you actually open up and, and peek behind the curtain there, let them behind the curtain, they start to know, like, and trust you. And all of a sudden, your retention improves, right? The customer stays longer. And any customer who stays longer gives you more opportunity to get referrals, as well as they, the longer they're with you, typically the more they spend. I mean, there's all sorts of studies that show that, right? That's not just my opinion. Lots of studies have been done on that. So, so when you go get a brand new customer, yeah, they come in and spend some money. That's great. But you have so many expenses attached to getting that customer. What about all the leads you generated that didn't convert to customers? Well, that has to come out of, you know, that, that expense has to be paid somewhere, right? So the goal really should be to, it definitely should be to generate new. We all need new business. But if you aren't focused on keeping your customers and making sure that they stay longer and building relationships with them and help and encouraging them to refer and encouraging them to buy more when appropriate, right? If you're not doing that, you're just leaving massive amounts of money on the table. And, and so to give you an example, uh, the average marketing company, the average marketing company, their clients stay with them for about 18 months. So if you're a marketing agency out there right now, and your clients are staying with you for a little less or a little more than that, you can determine how well you're doing based off of the 18-month number. My average customer stays with us for nearly four years. So wow. a big difference is because we invest in them. We're over two times what the, what the average is for our industry. It's because we invest in them. We give them a great product. We give them amazing customer service. Um, you know, but I, I realized early on that it, it is not about, yes, I need the new ones in, but I need all the existing ones to stay so I can scale. Because if, I, if they're falling out the, the, the back or if they're going out the back door as fast as I'm putting it, bringing them in through the front door, it's all for naught. And in fact, I'm actually from a profit standpoint, I'm actually losing money because it costs so much to get them in. And then even when I get them in, there's no guarantee they're coming back. We all know that. Like you go and sign up 10 new people today. It, in most businesses, that does not mean you will have 10 new people a quarter from now. 
So, so <clears throat> focused on focused on the customer experience, the relationship. And so September of, of that year, so that would have been 2012. Um, we then is when I, when I stopped doing any other marketing for all our other products, it doesn't mean I, if someone called in, I sold them, right? I, we didn't stop delivering on everything we'd already sold. I just stopped going after new and I only went after new customers for newsletters, right? That right. was all I focused on. And then, and we were doing probably about 40 grand a month in September. Okay. And then by the end of the year, we were, we were at a run rate of a million. So we were doing over $84,000 a month in December. And that, and that was primarily from switching from we're going after these three to just going after one. It was almost exclusively that, um, because what happened was that I could put all my time and attention on this and I was actually able to create marketing and then tweak the marketing when it didn't work and then try it again. And all these things kind of just fell in place. And then finally I had marketing that actually worked, <laughs> you know, and I was right. like, Whoa. Hot damn. This is, uh, you know, this is much nicer when it works. So I, I want to reinforce something you just said here for the listeners, because this is pure gold. Um, you more than doubled your company in a matter of uh, like what, two months, because you went and you focused on one thing and you dropped all the other things. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I find you wrote a book about it called the one thing. <laughs> so, you know, um, well, you know what, what I think it is uh, even more interesting is that you now have an eight figure company that's growing. Um, I think you said it was like, it's 34% year over year. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to be 34, 35% year over year this, yeah. this year. Yeah. And so, it, you know, that, 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 that's, uh, that's a pretty considerable amount of growth considering, especially you've you you can leave for months at a time. Yep. But, um, what I think is interesting is that you're still doing that. You're still focusing on one thing, even at eight figures. And I think that, um, there's, most will actually say, well, focus on one thing until you get to this point. Like the most, like the most people that have good strategies, I should say, um, there's, Mm -hmm. there's plenty that say, well, you need to have this and this and this and this, um, it, we've got to build, build this whole value ladder, which is totally ridiculous because how on earth can you possibly deal with all those moving parts? And you're just like focusing on one, um, it sounds like a middle of the road, like a middle of the road offer not a low end offer, not like a crazy high end offer, but something that, uh, is, we're, is we're delivering actually, a lot of value. Yeah. We're delivering a lot of value. I would say we're, we're probably, uh, we're probably high mid from a, from a, from a pricing standpoint, I guess, uh, mainly because of the custom there. Cause you can definitely get, I mean, you could go get a generic newsletter for $99 a month. Right. You know, and, and then, and then either print and mail them or email them yourself or whatever it's not going to work. I mean, you're not going to be happy with any of the results. You're just kind of uh, doing it to, to, to check a box, right? If you just want to check a box, you can t- totally go do that. Um, because we do a bunch of custom work, you know, that ends up pushing the price up. But yeah, I mean, if you went to a PR agency, they'd be, you know, three times what we're charging by far or at a minimum. And, uh, and then of course you could go on the very low end and just do something completely generic. Um, but, but what I never, what I always look for on pricing is, it's, it doesn't matter really what you charge. It matters the value you deliver. Right. So if I'm going to charge you, let's call it, you know, let's call it a thousand dollars, you know, a month or whatever. Right. But I'm delivering you value that is far greater than a thousand dollars a month. People will throw the money at you. I mean, like they'll give you the money. And so you can be on the high end, you can be on the low end. It's all about adding value. So here's how I see it. Uh, Amazon is the best example of this. Actually, they, they like, 
gosh, it's so impressed with what they do sometimes over at Amazon. So uh, people are probably uh, aware or, or becoming aware that Amazon is making a huge change to their Prime program. And it's been going on for a few months now. Um, and what they're doing is they're shifting every, they're shifting a ton of stuff to free next day shipping. Not two day shipping anymore, next day shipping for free on a ton of items. Now, why would they do that? Because they have like a 97% retention rate after the first year of Prime members. Like they all stay. Everyone loves it. Everyone's already happy with two day but they're doing it because they're actually continuing to move the, move the value up by improving the existing product, right? They're moving the value up, improving the existing product and making all their competitors who have now caught up to free two-day in a lot of cases, scramble to catch up with them. So they're estimating they're going to lose $800 million this year to do that. An extra $800 million in increased expenses, not lose it overall, but just an $800 million increase in expenses to do this. And not because they have to do it, but because they want to continue to deliver a better product and better value uh, and, and continue to exceed customer expectations. So I'm a big believer in, you know, how can we add more to this, to what we're already offering to give more value so people become, they stay longer, they're more sticky, they stay with us, right? But it also makes it so much more of a no-brainer to buy. Right. Wow, we get all these things for that price? Holy cow. Right. I love that. So, um, I, we, I kind of, kind of hijacked the conversation. You were, you were <laughs> in the place where you went from 40,000 to 84,000 from yeah. just, just from focusing down. So yep. continue on from there. Yeah. So then we, I mean, we, we did a couple of things that, that really got us some good publicity. Like I ran for a competition called marketer of the year where my peers voted and I was uh, fortunate enough to win that competition, which got you know, a lot of publicity in that, in that particular you know, circle. Um, and um, about six months after, maybe it was six, six, seven, eight months, my, my times might be a hair off on that, but six, seven, eight months after uh, the start of 2013, we doubled again. We went from a million to 2 million. Um, and then, um, you know, somewhere in early uh, 2014, we were kind of pushing maybe too early, yeah, pretty early 2014, we were pushing that 3 million mark. And, um, and now, um, and, and it just like, we continued to stack and pile on top of this year after year, and we continued to hire faster and faster and faster, right? And get more and more employees. And, um, and then, but here's the interesting thing that, that you, we did with that too. We continued to really work on the systems and processes, and then also continue to push what, what actually, um, you know, was what they could quantifiably get done, right? So we could get some more efficiencies in there. And, um, and we were able to, even though we hired all these people, we were able to make adjustments to improve efficiencies because we also had a lot of really smart people here who were like, hey, we should do it this way. Like this would make way more sense to do it this way, right? And then that improved efficiencies and then that allowed us to continue to scale, but at a lower cost uh, for each head, right? We could put more customers on, than, uh, than before. So at one point, the average team, which would be a project manager, a, a storyteller, or a ghostwriter, right? Someone who calls and interviews you and writes all the articles for you, all the content, and then a graphic designer um, and an editor, th those would be your a team, right? Those teams were only handling about 75 clients. Uh, I'm sorry, those teams were only handling about uh, 40 clients. I apologize, 40 clients at the time, 35, 40. Um, now those same teams can handle 60 clients. 
Wow. Right. So we were able to really improve efficiencies and we don't usually push them all the way up to 60. We usually put it at about 55. That way there's a little bit of room there. You know, you don't want to work everyone at a hundred percent all the time. Right. You know? And so, and so so a lot of those efficiencies were driven by the team themselves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Someone new would come in and be like, you know, my last job, we did it this way. And we're like, wow, that's amazing. We never thought of that. And then we'd make improvements or we'd come and bring them a problem. So be like, Hey, this is our problem. This is how it's working. We need a new solution. And then literally the team would come back with ideas for us as a, as a management team and be like, yeah, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And we'd figure out what the best one was. And then we'd go try it and test it and see if it worked. So here's one of the ideas. I don't know if this came from a team, from myself, from one of the managers. Don't know where this idea came from. Okay. But at, in the beginning, everyone was staggered. All right, so all the project managers sat together, all the writers sat together, all the designers sat together, but they were all working on different clients. So if a designer had to speak to a project manager, they had to, you know, send them a chat message or walk across the room or whatever. So we made a switch and we put them all on teams in their own little pods, right? They're just small group pods. And they all, all, everyone in that pod all works on the same clients. Because they're all working on the same clients, we then improved efficiencies even more, right? And again, I don't remember whose idea that was. And, and for me, I don't care whose idea it was. I just care that we get to the right answer. I could really... I could really care less about who uh, needs to get credit. Like my, you know, I do my best to take my ego out of it. It doesn't need my idea. If my idea is wrong and your idea is right, great. I just want to be at the right answer. And I think more entrepreneurs need to understand that's where they need to get to. Like, it's not about who's right. It's about getting to the right answer. Side, little side tidbit. <laughs> so I like that. Um, so, so then if you kind of fast forward a little bit, uh, I mean, look, we hit some points where we stalled. Um, and, and that happens in businesses, by the way, uh, the first million is the hardest. Um, I find that about three, two and a half, three million, uh, that was a stall point for us where we, I had six months, I had to re redo a bunch of things to, to get us to grow again. Um, just because there are things that change in the business and the culture and how you operate. Um, it, it just doesn't always continue to, you know, run in this like fluid motion as you grow and you scale, you have to continue to improve, which can be frustrating because sometimes you're fixing problems that. I literally at one point was fixing problems that I'd fixed six months ago that weren't broken because someone broke it. It was broken because we could, the, it, that solution I put in couldn't handle the capacity we were at yeah, now, right? I haven't fixed it again. I was like, I wanted to pull my hair out. I was like, ah. Um, so, um, so we hit 3 million, 5 million. Um, and uh, I mean, supposedly you, you hit another one at 10 million. We, we have not uh, hit that because we've gone over that. But but supposedly there's another another little milestone that another little uh, bump that you'll sometimes hit around 10 million. I've heard, um, but uh, we'll see. We'll see that that one has it. And those aren't exact numbers. It's like in that range. Maybe yeah. we'll hit it at 12 million, right? You know who knows, right? So, um, and the, you got these little speed bumps where you got to kind of keep evolving the business. And if you'll do that, you'll have a lot of success. But uh, but yeah, you got to know those those those. Uh, those little speed bumps are coming. In fact, if we go, let me actually just, cause I, you know, there may be some people on here who are newer listening. Those same speed bumps exist. The first speed bump is up to a hundred thousand, then 300,000, then 1 million, right? So if you think about that, that's kind of then 5 million, then 10 million, then 30 million. Those are kind of the speed bumps where you, somewhere in those areas, you may run into some struggles because you have to make radical change to keep going forward. And if you don't make the change, you'll go backwards. And if you do make the change, and once you implement it, even though it's hard, that will allow you to continue to grow and push your business forward. And I know you know all this based off of what you guys do. I mean, this is you guys help people through all of this and 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 help them see those. But but for the listeners, that's that's really where it's at, you know. Well, I'm really glad that you shared this, and this was actually a question that I was going to to ask. Good. And, and you like 
you like read my mind. Um, Perfect. so, so I, I love this. Um, but I wanted to ask you, what did you find the most, the most difficult stage to get past? The 3 million stage just kicked my ass, man. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> it, that took me like a year to fix that, to fix that. Like we were just stagnant for almost 12 months and it was so brutal as an entrepreneur. And I love growth. I mean, um, I love it. That's, that's what I thrive under is growth. Okay. Um, and so it, when we were stagnant for a year, I mean, like I was, I struggled through that and it was just, what happened was, is I had to upgrade my management team, but I was so loyal to those managers because they had been with me and helped me and had me get there, but they just, they just didn't have the skill set to help us go to the next level. And so I had no choice, but to upgrade the management team. And, uh, and luckily we came to that mutual, you know, agreement that it was time to, you know, we were time to, time to go and they, they needed to part ways and stuff. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that was the hardest one. And, and the reason it was the hardest is because I took too long to upgrade the management team. That's why it took a year. It took me six months or more before I even realized I'm like, or I mean, I realized, but it took me six months before I could basically have the cojones to tell my managers, like, you're not cutting it. And I need you to go despite you being amazing and loyal to me for the last couple of years. Right. So, cause I'm a very loyal person. So, so then, so then if I'm understanding this correctly, this, at this stage, it, one of the biggest challenges was first just understanding what the real problem is and actually just admitting that to yourself. And yep. then the other part is just like really making a decision that that's what you're going to do. And it's the right thing for the business. Yeah. I, I've learned that at least for me, I have to, you know, it almost has to be like a, um, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. What is that? Like, I think a Spock reference or something, the Star Trek reference, I don't know, but maybe not. Maybe that's just where I first heard it. Who knows? Um, (laughs) But um, anyhow, I'm a big believer that like, unfortunately in in business, sometimes that's the case. And actually that is the case for the entrepreneur too. Um, You know, you know, I recently had to make a, a, a large personal sacrifice, um, but I had to do it because the needs of the business um, and the 75 plus families that I've got here outweighed that personal sacrifice that I had to make. Um, and like, like I said, it's not like I was solely made for the business, but, but I, I made this decision to go, to go forward because I knew that that, that, that that would protect everybody here, right? And so... And so you, you just, whether it's your management team, or it's yourself. And if you're not willing to make those sacrifices or make those hard decisions, or you just get to a point where it's, um, you're not willing to continue to grow, then you're actually just doing everybody that works there in your whole company a disservice by, by still owning it. You should either, you should sell it or you should uh, tell everyone you're not going to grow and you should stop, you should stop beating yourself up for not growing. Right. You know, just own that you want a lifestyle business or whatever it is. Right. You know, but um, but yeah, you've got to make, you know, you've got to make those choices that are in the best interest of, of everybody there. And you got to think of a business as a, as its own person, it's an entity. And so you have to make the decisions in what's the best interest for the entity. Cause the entity is what puts food on your table and your employees table and what helps your customers and what's helps all the vendors in town that you work with and so on and so forth. So, right. So you, so the, the, uh, a lot of our listeners are right around the million mark and they, and that is, cool. and, and, um, and also scaling up to that, that point, you know, you'd mentioned, yeah. uh, you know, that, that getting up to the hundred thousand, I, I personally think is actually the, the, the hardest part of the, uh, part of the business journey. It probably wasn't as hard for you because this was your second business. So you had already kind of worked that out. A lot of the mindset issues 
It was my ninth. <laughs> my, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So you were able to get past that very quickly because a lot yeah. of that's mindset and we work with people beyond that level too, but that's like, that's, that's, um, that's quite a difficult time. And, it then, is. It, but a lot of listeners also are at that around that getting up to 300,000. I, I see like it's been around between like two, two twenty five to 300 mark where mm-hmm. they're really stuck in the center of that. Mm-hmm. And I, Again, I mean, you had you had had owned nine other companies, so these are some of the things that you pro- you probably got to a million a lot simpler because those are the, those are the the um, factors you'd already figured out. So, what was the largest company though that you had had owned before this? Oh, before this, it was like a million. So, yeah, it wasn't mm. wasn't like I was owning like you know scaling huge companies or anything. So, all of them were the problem was is those businesses just they were franchises mainly. A lot of them were franchises, and they just that was the cap. It was as high as we could get for the territory I owned or whatever the case may be. A few of them were my own businesses, um, but they weren't. Um, you know, I mean, just again, they were they were more made to be like local service businesses and, and more a little more mom and pop. Because that's what I thought. I thought in the beginning, what I really wanted was this lifestyle business that I could make 150,000 bucks a year on and just, uh, you know, coast, you know, coast through life. Um, and uh, for me, you know, and, and actually, I, the reason I thought that was actually not because I thought I actually wanted it. The reason I thought that was is because I wasn't having the success I, I thought I wanted to have. And so I could make myself feel better by telling myself I owned a lifestyle business and that all, all the challenges that I wasn't willing to face were okay. It was okay for me not to face them because this is a lifestyle business and that's what it's designed to be, right? And it was just, it was just was not true. I just was either capped from a territory or I was lying to myself. And, you know, it's never good when you lie to yourself. Uh, you should at least be honest with yourself. <laughs> See, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm hearing is that there was a story that you were telling yourself that, you know what, I'm going to, I'm just going to stay small. I'm going to have this quote lifestyle <laughs> business, but it was really because it was avoiding the fear of actually dealing with these bigger responsibilities and, and you didn't know, and maybe I'm, 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 I'm just kind of guessing here, but maybe you didn't know if you could actually handle those. Oh yeah, totally. Like there was definitely, um, like fear drives so much of what we do as, as humans. Um, and I'm way more aware of it, you know, today than I was many years ago. Um, but this fear of failure and it's just, it's just like, um, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like who, is good at anything the first time they do it. Like very few people, <laughs> you know, um, my eight year old was pretty darn good at golf the first time he did it, you know, which is just not cool. But, uh, but other than that, you know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> you know, it, it's one of those things that very few, unless you just are naturally gifted in that area, very few of us are good at anything the first time we do it. And so we are going to fail, but it's not about, it's not really failure. It's about lesson learning. Um, and it's about calculating that risk. Like, so I, I see some people, what they do is because they're scared. So they're like, here's what we're doing. We're going to bet it all on red. <laughs> like, what? No, that, that's not smart. Right. Um, let's be calculated. Let's, let's, let's think through this. Let's, let's think through, okay, what, what are the two or three most likely outcomes and what will we do to solve that? That's usually how I get through my fear. If I'm scared of something. Okay. Well, one, I like to have a plan, but to start with the plan, I'm just asking myself, okay, what is it? What is, what am I scared of? That's going to happen. What's as bad as it's going to happen? Like, what do I think in my head now? Is that actually reality? Or am I just lying to myself here? Am I just blowing this out of proportion? You know, is it, is it likely if I go spend this money over here or sign up for this service that my whole company will come to its knees and go out of business? No, that's, that's unfounded, right? You know, that's not a true fear. So then I, then I start to say, okay, well, what is, what is reality now? So then I actually look at it. What's most likely, then I say, what's most likely going to happen and what are maybe the two secondary 
you know, outcomes. If it's not this most likely thing, what's the secondary negative outcome? What's the, what's the, the third negative outcome? Just the word was not coming into my, my brain there, but what was that outcome? And then I make a little, like just a little, what would I do in this scenario? And I write myself a little note. What would I do? How would I solve this problem if this happens? Well, look, I'm way ahead of the game if the problem ever happens because I've got a plan. Right. And now all of a sudden I look at him like, that's not quite as scary. I think about it like I think of the employee. Well, what's the real cost? Is it really 40,000? Or am I basically just telling myself it's 40 or 50 or $100,000 so that I can, so I can convince my spouse that it's a bad idea. So they'll support me in the fact that I don't want to go do this. Well, <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, that's, that's what we do. Like, that's what a lot of us do, at least. I mean, I did it. So I'm well, assuming others do I, it. <laughs> I want to break this down a little bit for the listeners because this is pure gold. And uh, this is actually a question I was going to ask you too. Is that like, how do you, how do you deal with like the, 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 uh, the head trash and the, and the, the gremlins that come in and the fear? It's like, once you get to a certain point, you realize that like, it's really your head. It's all in your head. And um, just mastering yep. that. And one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you saying is, is it first of all, acknowledge, acknowledge that it's fear and mm-hmm. acknowledge that it's like, you trying to create something so that you can go and like you said, go tell your wife to, to support you. And yeah, this is too risky for us to do. Right. And you yep. get this validation. But what I'm hearing is, is first acknowledge this is fear actually looking at like, what's the worst, what are the, what are the things that could happen? Have a plan and then mm-hmm. um, calculate that risk and then, and then be looking at, well, what, what would I do in these different situations? So you already, you're already way ahead. Yeah. The, the, the one other thing I do is I'll look at it and I'll say, well, is there anything I can do to minimize the risk on any of these areas? Like, and then I focus on it, right? If there's something I can do to minimize it, I make sure that, that goes in the plan. I focus on that, that thing that's going to minimize it. Or is there any way where I could take a sm- slight smaller risk, right? You know, but still test the waters. Um, do I have to go all in and, and uh, spend $10,000 or can I, can I spend $100 and, and, and see our thousand dollars, you know, and see if I can get it to work. Right. You know um, the, the last point of that, and this was, this has been a staple to, to just my personal growth is you need good coaches and mentors. Mm. You have to have this. Like a lot of times you can't see the forest through the trees uh, as an entrepreneur. So you've got to have coaches and mentors. Um, you've got to have someone there who can help ask the hard questions sometimes who can help point out where your, your weaknesses are. Um, and you got to have someone there who, when you do get into a bind in an emergency, you can call. Uh, that's so important. Like it, I just made a post the other day on social media and, uh, and it, it said something to the extent of, um, listen, life and business, they're team sports right? And if you're here trying to play it by yourself, you're, you're doing it wrong. Okay. Um, you have to surround yourself with the right people. And at least for me in the beginning, um, and, and even still today, but definitely in the beginning, look, I didn't have those right people. I mean, I was just a, a poor kid from Northern California. My mom was a civil servant, a single mom, like made no money, 30 something thousand dollars a year supporting three of us. Like, you know, like I didn't have, I didn't have some silver spoon or anyone to help me give me a hand up there. Okay. I had a kid at 16 years old. Um, you know, mo- I'd moved out, had a kid at 16 years old. I raised him when his mom didn't want to, I, listen, I didn't have any good starts here, guys. Like it wasn't it, dad, you know, daddy Warbucks didn't give me a million bucks to get going here. Okay. I, I hustled for what I, what I have, but, um, but my, my point here is, is that what you, what you've got to do, right. Okay. Is you've got to take a look at where you're, you got to take a look. I lost my entire train of thought on that. 
<laughs> well, you know, it, th- that's great. As you're thinking about, it, I want to just kind of reinforce a few things that you're sharing, which is absolute gold here. That um, one of the things I'm hearing you say is that all the way through this this whole interview, you're talking about how you're investing in yourself. You're investing ahead. You, there's a Thank mindset. You. Your the mindset of growth is acknowledging the fear and just doing it anyway, calculating yeah. the risk, going for it, and and uh, being strategic about it. But you're surrounding yourself with the very best team. You're surrounding yourself with the best coaches and mentors and recognizing that um, this kind of growth that you've created, what you said, did you say uh, an eight figure company in nine years, you created that by surrounding yourself with the best kind of people and investing in yourself. Well, and that's, and I apologize. That is where I lost my train of thought, but that's where I was going with it was like, I didn't have someone to help me. So I had to buy it. Right. I mean, and, and frankly, it's better when you buy it anyways, okay? because you're not going to listen. You're not going to listen to them if you don't have skin in the game, right? I, I give people, friends of mine, I, I usually will give them advice once. And if they do nothing with it, anything else they get from me is completely surface level advice, right? Okay. But, um, but when they do something with it, I will cheerfully continue giving them advice, you know, for free. Like I won't, won't even charge them for it uh, when they're friends and stuff. But but the people who like, you know, the, but most people you have to pay for it. It's just so it's one in 30 that I give advice to that actually goes on and does something, which is why I don't mind giving a little bit of advice in the beginning, give them a task to go complete and then say, Hey, just let me know when you're done with that. We'll talk some more. They never come back to me because they never complete the task. Right. I know. It. So, so, I mean, I got one thirty. but if they were writing me a check for it, I'm not saying they would do it hundred percent of the time. But the second time I gave them the advice, they'd probably go to it. Or the third time I gave it, it wouldn't be that they never do it. Because when they came back to me, I'd be like, why didn't you just do the thing I told you to do last time? You know? And so, so I guess where I was trying to go with this is, look, you have to surround yourself with those people. And I think if you can get it for free in the very, very early stages, I guess that that's okay. But I I honestly think you need to pay for it and you need to just go forward because if you don't do that, you won't take it seriously. And what you want to do is you want to pay for that advice and then you want to make an action plan not, and then you just want to run at that, at what you're doing as fast as possible, right? Run at it and then make tweaks along the way. You don't have to have the perfect plan. Like perfectionism is, is just the, it's the death of, of success. So, um, but yeah, you have to have mentors and you have to have coaches. Great. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm glad that you shared that. Um, I was, it was actually a question in my mind too, like, you know, who's helped you contribute to the success and, and clearly you've been doing a lot of investing in yourself, um, investing in, um, your team and, um, really just allowing your team to be the solution to help you continue to grow. Yeah. I mean, you, if you're an entrepreneur listening to this and you're not reading books and investing in yourself, guys, you're just, all you're doing is turning yourself. I, I read, uh, on average, nine books a quarter. Now I do it via Audible. I do it via physical books, right? I, that's how I get through it all. Okay, nine books a quarter. Because here's the reality: I am not the CEO my company needs twelve months from now. 20, 2020, November. I'm not the CEO my company needs, but I am determined to become that man, right? And so, in turn, I have to invest in myself. And the reason I, my my management team, despite me investing in them years ago when we were at three million, the reason my management team didn't grow is because yes, I I was having them do some stuff and I was helping bring them along, but I can't do it all for them. They have to invest in themselves too, right? And they they didn't invest enough in themselves, and in turn, they stalled out. And mm-hmm. you will stall out if you're not investing in yourself too. I I so I. 
told you guys, like I, I 16, had a kid. I mean, I finished up high school. I tried college for a couple of years, but I'm not kidding you. Over the last 20 years that I've been an entrepreneur, I could have gone to Harvard probably four or five times. So well over a million dollars in my own personal education. Um, and, and again, that's spread out over a lot of years. And there are some years where maybe I spent $100,000 and some years I spent zero, right? But, uh, but I spent a significant amount of money on it. And, and I still do to this day um, because I need to be the CEO that my company needs 12 months from now. Right, right. I love that. And, and there, there was um, a couple of things you mentioned in there. And first of all, you, you needing to invest in yourself to become the leader your company needs 18 months from now. But also that awareness around your team stalled out because they weren't developing themselves. So, so where do you find the balance between like you developing them and them having to take, take on the ownership of developing themselves? Yeah. I mean, I basically, you know, I do, I do a lot of it where I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to push you. I, I do it more now than I did previously. Right. Cause I, I can see it now where I couldn't see it. And I have a bigger budget today than I had when we were at 3 million. Right. Uh, so I'm definitely, I definitely push more, but frankly, I'm, I'm more of a, you know, 60, 40, you know, 70, 30, 70, 70% of it, 60% of it's on them. I mean, I can't force you to, to grow. You have to want to grow on your own. And frankly, if I do force you to grow, you're not going to retain anything I'm giving you. You're going to goof off. You're, I'm going to send you to a conference. You're going to sit in the hallways or stay up in your hotel room and take, take a nap or whatever it happens to be. So you have to want it too. Um, and, 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 you know, there's a bare minimum level of stuff I need people to understand and know. And so that's the stuff I push on them. And then I will encourage them to take other opportunities sometimes where I help pay for it. Sometimes where it's on their own. It just depends on what we're talking about, but, um, but they've got to want it and I can tell the ones that want it and I can tell the ones that don't want it Mm. pretty quickly, pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that's great. So we haven't talked very much about what you guys do at all. I mean, I, I've, I've loved hearing that this, the growth trajectory of your company and I mean, so many great things to, to learn from, um, your, your knowledge and expertise. Um, but you, you know, why newsletters? Why did you guys, I mean, you've done nine other businesses. So why did you go yeah. for the newsletters? Well, so here's what happened. Um, one of the franchises that I owned that I mentioned, I was required to send a newsletter out from like it was in my contract and I sent the world's crappiest newsletter for like two years. I mean, I got zero results. It was boring. It was just atrocious looking like it was so bad. And then one day I, I, you know, saw something or read something. I can't remember where I saw it, but I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I should learn how to do it right. And just, I mean, I got to do it anyways. I'm literally contracted. I might as well try to see if I can get something out of this newsletter thing. And so I started creating a newsletter that, you know, really wasn't great, but it was infinitely better than the one I was putting out. All of a sudden I started getting traction. Like I'd started getting referrals. I started having customers talk to me about stuff they read in the newsletter. So I knew I was building a relationship with them, right? I started to see customers be like, oh, I didn't know you guys did that. And then buying those products and services. from us. And uh, I am sorry, my... It's okay. So it just beeped on my computer there. And so anyhow, um, I basically went through and, and started doing all of that and, and it started to work, but it was so difficult. Like I was spending an inordinate amount of time to get this thing out. And, um, so fast forward a number of years, I've been doing newsletters for myself for a long time. And I was, I was like, look, I need to do something different. And I had owned marketing companies in the past. 
And that was really where my passion was. I wanted to help people. Um, I'd studied it forever and, and I'm, I'm, you know, get to my own horn here, but I'm really good at it. So I was like, okay, this is what I want to go and do. And, uh, and so anyhow, I went out and started doing, uh, doing, uh, you know, started saying what kind of marketing should I do? That's where I came up with the three, three ideas. And then, uh, from there I, you know, I whittled it down. I'm like, listen, everybody's going digital, but I knew for a fact that, cause at the beginning, all we did was, uh, print newsletters. We didn't even do any email newsletters. 2011, you could not buy an email newsletter from me. All of my friends thought I was crazy. They all did. And, um, but I'm like, no, no, this works. No, everyone, it doesn't matter. Someone can be like, Hey, this newsletter thing, the, there's some people here thinking, Oh, that's outdated. No one, no one's going to read it. I'm like, dude, I send over 600,000 physical newsletters a month and millions of email newsletters. I assure you that is not the case. Okay. It is, you just have to do it right. That's all that matters. Okay. And when you do it right and it works, I mean, listen, I got friends making over a million dollars a year, like in sales from the yellow pages. Not every business will that work for, but I have friends doing it. So some people will be like yellow pages, that's so outdated. But I got one guy who sells these crazy, you know, custom beds for people, the older people with these back issues, or, or I don't remember what the exact issue is. And they're like $10,000 a bed. And he crushes it in the yellow pages. I have a, yeah, which I, I thought was insane. Like I, I would have told, said the same thing. Like that doesn't work. I have another friend who's uh, owns a number of physical therapy locations. Um, and literally the newspaper is his third, his third highest source of new customers. I'm like the newspaper. Do you know last time I had a newspaper subscription was, I can't even recall it was so long. It was definitely in the nineties, you know? And, um, but so, so some people think it's outdated, but it's not about that. It's about whether you can get the relationship, whether you can get them to read it, whether you can get them to consume it. Right. And I knew that I, I, I just knew it, you know, instinctually, like I didn't, I didn't know why, I, but I knew it worked for me. And so I thought, well, must work for others too. And that's how I jumped into it. And I, and, and like I said, it did, people were, we were getting so many reviews, uh, rave reviews from our clients. And I mean, at this point I literally have, I, I have to have like of, of notes or, or stuff. I have to have five, 600 minimum testimonials, like of people who just like are sending it in. We, we read a, a half a dozen or more of them every Monday in our Monday huddle, uh, at nine twenty six AM, which is when the huddle starts. We read half a dozen of them every single week, and we always have way more than we can possibly go through and read. And so I know it works, um, you know, and 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 you know, and I knew it worked for me back then, and that's why I decided to start it. So wow! And so who who uh, what kind of businesses are best for the newsletters that you guys do? What, what kind of companies? What are the, your best type of customers? Yeah, best type of customers usually like serve professional services, uh, so dentists, lawyers, uh, physical therapists. Uh, and then all other service businesses like uh, plumbers, electricians, uh, B2B works really well. And then uh, B2C, but but typically not like retail B2C. Usually if there's some kind of, the customer needs to come back on some kind of uh, reoccurring basis for whatever reason, right? Um, and so those are the main categories. So so like I'd probably say 40% of our clients are, or 30% of our clients are lawyers, about another 25 or 30% are doctors, uh, usually in the uh, physical therapy or dental realm. Uh, but there's other doctors. We have cosmetic surgeons and a bunch of other ones. We have a large number of service business, B2B business. And then, and then we have a few weird ones. Like we literally do newsletters for like two or three funeral homes, which I think is a little bit strange, but I mean, we've been doing a newsletter for a funeral home for like four years, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, wow, okay, what's next? You know, um, so, <laughs> well, what happens is, is they're like, okay, well, 
you know, as sad as this is, they're like, well, you know, mom just passed away. Dad's probably not that far behind. So we want to keep in communication with them. I mean, I know it's morbid, but everyone's going to die. <laughs> so they want him to come back. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm not saying that, that, you know, I'm just telling you what we do. We've done, um, I mean, we've done some, we, we've done some crazy ones. I could, I could, uh, <laughs> I can tell you some crazy stories of ones. I, a couple I had to fire cause they were too crazy, but uh, <laughs> that will have to be a podcast for another time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Well, Sean, where, where uh, can people find you? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. There's really two ways. If they want to go check out the, um, if they want to go check out the website, right. Um, they can totally go do that. That's just newsletterpro.com. The other thing they can do is they can actually text in if they would like to see, you know, get some free information. They can get a free copy of my book called the ultimate guide to newsletters. They can get it on the website or they can go through this text opt-in. But let me tell you why this text, they should do the text opt-in uh, over the website. Cause first of all, they probably all have their phones right now. Right? right. So what I want you guys to do is I want you to grab your phone, open up your, your text messaging. Okay. And I want you to text this phone number, the 208 Again, 208-269-9111. I'll give it to you again at the, at the end. And then text the word free. Now, when you do that, here's what's going to happen. You're going to walk through what is actually an automated text and email sequence. Okay? It does not feel automated. So I'm letting you guys in on some inside baseball so you know what's going on because everyone here is entrepreneurs and they, they like this kind of stuff, right? So you're going to walk through this automation and it's going to ask you questions, but it's going to be like, oh, you know... Mandy, it's, it's, you know, nice to meet you. Uh, hey, you know, let me know. We're happy to get you the book. Let me know where should we send you this book because we're going to send a physical book out, right? We're not going to just give it to you like in a download, right? Where should we send you? And then we'll ask a couple qualifying questions in there, but it feels very natural. All of that information is literally being put into my CRM system automatically, um, right? It's going to my CRM system. And then the moment we get all the information from you, it will trigger the next day a book will go in the mail uh, to you, a physical book. Now, it's more than just the book. It's what's called a shock and awe package, okay? And so this package, um, I'm not going to spoil it for you what's in it. But I, I'm telling you right now, it is way, way more than a book. And the other thing, the other reason I think you should go get this is because this particular shock and awe package I've been using for almost six years in our marketing, and it brings in millions of dollars a year for us. And what you should do as an entrepreneur is you should take this and you should consume it, but you should be studying it. What is he doing here? Why am I spending you? Because we spend over $20 to ship you this book. and We don't charge you anything for it, right? Assuming you have a real business, right? If you don't have a real business, we're gonna, we will send you a digital copy, okay? Just as an FYI. <laughs> like if you're like, no, uh, I'm just thinking about starting. We're like going to ship you a digital copy. We're going to send you a digital copy and we'll tell you that, but um, that's what's going to happen. But if you've got a real business, right? We'll spend over $20 to ship you this book. But I want you to study the marketing and every component that's in there because it's all in there for a reason, right? And that those components have helped us generate, no joke, millions of dollars in new revenue every year. Um, we will add, we're going to, we, I mean, we are adding somewhere around, um, you know, on a bad month, 300,000 to 500,000 in, in uh, annual revenue every month, Right. And it's, and this is one of our primary ways that we do it is with this book. And so I'm telling you right now, so many of you could take so much of this and then figure out how to do it for your own business, right? How can I replicate what Sean's doing for my own business and, and have crazy, crazy success with it. And so, so even if you're not sure newsletters are right for you and you have a real business, grab the book because you're, I think you're going to find the marketing lesson in it alone uh, is worth dropping your info in there. Right. Absolutely. So 
So what's the number again, Sean? Yeah, so it's a, text the word free to 208-269-9111. Perfect. Perfect. And we'll, we'll, go, we'll make sure to put that into the show notes as well. Um, awesome. What a great resource. Thanks so much for your generosity and sharing that with our audience and for all of these great um, insights that you've been sharing through this and, you, and, um, and for, your, for your generosity of time. So thank you so much. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it, was, it was fun and it was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hands Off CEO with Mandy Ellison. If you want to work less and make more, make sure you subscribe and get a new episode every week and help spread the word by leaving a review.